Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. <laughs> because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> Welcome, welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone had a nice little long weekend. Did you have a good long weekend? I learned so much about houses and buying houses, and I now have a extended portfolio of random, but at some point helpful knowledge, which unfortunately now also includes how septic tanks work. So <laughs> yeah, if anyone wants to be like really grossed out as to like how those work, do Google, you will, you will be scarred. I, yeah. So anyways, that's, that's that. Maybe you don't Google that yet. That's like really my, wait, how was yours? Because your story. Oh, you guys, you guys, wait, if anyone also doesn't follow Maddie's like personal account, I literally, so I'm in the midst of this, like house drama, whatever house drama, like not like summer house fun drama, just like, like purchasing homes drama. And I like see this story and it's literally like, first looks all cute, hiking, hiking, hiking. And then there's one of her getting like airlifted off some mountain. And I am like, (laughs) excuse me, this is not supposed to be a single podcast. Like mm-hmm. you, n- yeah, n- 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 it was no. almost it was almost oh solo pod this week. No, yeah, I am in Tahoe. I've been here all weekend, just really extending to this this trip. So loving loving life in Tahoe. But on Saturday, we went on a hike. You're like walking along waterfalls like the whole way. It's so stunning. Oh. Like you're in the forest. It was like the most beautiful hike I've ever been on. But you have to kind of start like climbing up like rocks, like this this granite rock mountain base. There's dogs doing it. There are kids doing it. And we get up there, like we're, you know, climbing rocks. We're walking through snow. We finally get to the lake. It's super pretty, whatever. But basically online, it said this hike, like you go up to the lake and you can turn around and come back down. Everyone we saw was coming back down, but it was like really steep. We were just like climbing up rocks. We're like, it would suck to go back down. We're like, let's try and avoid totally. that if possible because then online oh, it said- no we could keep walking a little further up the mountain. And then there's the gondola to come back down. And we're like, Hey, that sounds great. Let's do that. And so we were on the trail like the whole time, but I think because it's like not fully summer yet and not like fully melted snow, like the trail was just like nowhere to be found. So we were literally scaling like these steep ski slopes (laughs) full of snow, get to the top. We're like at the top of the mountain. It's an 8,500 foot mountain we climbed ultimately we found out um Um, but the gondola that we were supposed to get on like it was as if we were in like Soviet Russia like that hadn't been used in decades and it was so windy it was getting freezing cold and we were like there's nobody here there's not a soul in sight and we're like okay I don't even think this gondola is running we're like looking around trying to like look in the windows of the building like (laughs) nobody was there all of a sudden my friend Ellie she sees like another gondola like probably like 300 yards away so we walk over so have to kind of like hike down and find our way to that gondola and then we get there and we were like okay we found it it's still running we see people on the gondola we're like we're good but we're like kind of at the bottom of the building and these ski patrol guys start coming down the mountain and like they're looking at us as if as if we were little aliens what the and then hell? they they ski patrolled like by us. What are those like snow jet skis called? Snow <laughs> snowmobiles. Snowmobiles. <laughs> they like go by us and there's snowmobiles and like they're still just like looking at us, staring. And then they like kind of talk to each other. And then one of them sloops around and comes up to us and we're like, hey, like we weren't worried because we like saw the gondola going. Yeah. And they're like, what are you guys doing? We're like, we just did the hike and we we're just gonna take the gondola down. He's like, well, we're literally closing right now, so you need to go up there. Like all the ski patrol guys were like ending their shift and heading down on the gondola and we were like what he was like hop on and we like hopped on the, <laughs> the and like he it. takes us please up tell me the they door. were hot please tell me they were hot. I, one of them was okay. I'll tell you in a second but no then 
we finally get there. He calls the guys to let us in the gondola because it was all locked. Like it was, they were closing it. And so they let us in and like the ski patrol guys were like, you got so lucky. What were you guys thinking? Like we are literally closing and you guys would have been fully stuck up here. And we're like, oh, didn't know that. Thought the gondola would be running. It was only like three o'clock. Long story short, we get on the gondola down with two ski patrol guys ending their shift and their adorable ski patrol dog camper. And oh my God, he was the most precious angel of all time. And then one of them Um, was very attractive. His name was Bruce. And we just took the gondola down with them. And then we also saw like these people um, rock climbing, like up on this massive cliff. And we were like, oh my God, I could never do that. And the ski patrol guys were like, oh, well, what they're doing is hundred times more safe than what you guys just did. We were like, really? <laughs> Are you sure? They were like, no, like you guys, we would have had to like come up and like take you guys down. Like if you guys didn't make it, like it would have been really bad. And we we're like, oh, <laughs> but Anyways, um, yeah. So, so survived. But. Bruce and Camper right now to my dog names list. Oh, Bruce was the hot ski patrol guy. He wasn't a dog. Should be a dog. Should be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I'm also like, who's doing their son Bruce these days? I don't like, know. Bruce. Like, I just think it'd be yeah. like, so cute. But we had a great Camp- gondola oh ride down with them. They were they were great, and we invited them to come get margaritas with us after because we were. The whole hike talking yeah. about this one Mexican place in the village. We're like, we're going to go get Mark's and some Mexican food after this. And so when we were on our way down, we're like, still need that Mark, still need that food more than ever and invited them. Exactly. And they were like, honestly, yeah, we might come meet you. And I was like, okay. And then they never did. I was like, just it's kind of rude, but whatever. Dear, dearest Bruce, if you are hearing this right now and you are in Lake Tahoe, there is a brunette here that would love to get some margaritas with you. So this is your sign to sign her DMs. It is tomorrow. Maddie Medved. Yeah. Oh, there you 100%. go. Yep. Totally. He totally listens to this podcast. He's like, I know. I, I mean, Camper is. definitely does because obviously biggie probably oh knows him and yeah, then true it's such a small dog world it's so true but that was the main story of the weekend wow. otherwise just been beaching it and little hikes here and there it's just been lovely we're I'm just so glad you made it down the mountain i like literally was like oh 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 no <laughs> septic tank and ski patrol aside we have a great yeah. episode in store and one that we have been talking about on TikTok and such regarding gun reform and in light of last week's shooting we didn't get a chance to talk about it last Wednesday so we definitely want to focus a lot on that in fact one of our TikToks from last week we went through basically all the senators um who are up for re-election who have taken money from the NRA and kind of showed how much money the NRA is really pumping into the Senate specifically and we got a lot of responses, a lot of questions, a lot of really, really good questions that we want to answer for everybody here today. So yeah. I feel like we can kick it off and go through some of those. And then we also obviously have an amazing interview with totally. Sam Licardo, who is the mayor of San Jose, who's going to run through different local gun reform measures that he has taken in San Jose, because I think that local level is sometimes slept on when it comes to gun reform. So it'll, it's an interesting perspective on this issue. I also do want to make like one clarification for our TikTok watchers. And that is like with that TikTok, like there's some people that are actually like they're up for re-election and there's other people where like they're retiring and they're not running again. Like, but the person that is running for office for that seat is supported by either the NRA or they are, it's like a deeply red seat. So like the likelihood that like someone just like them will be elected is like pretty high. So we're sort of putting that in the same category, if that makes any sense. Yes. So yeah. And also those were just senators too. We didn't run through house members and run through governors and state offices. And that's a whole nother monster, but let's run through just some of these questions. Cause again, they're really, really good ones. And just overall question that we got was like, what time period is this for the NRA? And like, where basically what these numbers really account for. And they are like cumulative, like since these people have been in office. So the numbers that we have on our TikTok of like, say, for example, Marco Rubio, Florida is $3.3 million from the NRA. And that's his like NRA grand total. And all this comes from Open Secrets, who we love and we stand and we are always promoting. And they also have like a really amazing just public Google sheet with all of this kind of gun money broken down for senators, house members, 
and house members so we can link that in the episode description too for everyone to look through because it is surely very interesting but that was and one of the questions go listen to our episode with open secrets yes absolutely so you know absolutely there is that but one of the other questions that we also got was does this funding correlate to the committee seats they hold really good cue really good cue and I felt like this was like I was trying to think of like how to phrase this because I feel like it's like a soft yes Mm. like it's not like hey I'm literally physically buying a seat like hey like this is the transaction I'll give you twelve thousand dollars you buy me the seat Mm -hmm. it's not like a charity dinner like yeah it's why is really complicated can we we just talk about that is literally me watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills (laughs) and thinking about how like Percy how much a plate is yeah I mean, honestly, that's how a lot of political funding works as well. Totally. Big dinners with expensive plates, but nonetheless. So it's like a little bit of like a funky thing. So like technically being pulled onto a committee, it's based on like seniority, which can go into our whole like sort of term limits conversation that we've had like many a time where it's like, okay, to get onto a committee to have X amount of power, because some committees are more powerful than others. Like you have to spend enough time in office yada, 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 yada. So you'll see, if you like, look at some of these committees, you'll see like who's on that committee. And then you can directly correlate where they get their funding from. So there's a topic of the committee. So say it's like the agriculture committee, like the people that therefore like on that committee are getting a lot of funding from big ag. So you will see that. And to say that, like, it's like I said, it's like a soft, yes. Like those people, it's like partially seniority, but it's also Mm -hmm. like okay, where's the money coming from? Who's selecting the people on the committee? Like, yeah, that obviously comes into who is like the, you know, PACs, which is like all electoral funding. So like they're funding these senators campaigns, for example, but there's also another level of like lobbying that happens when they are in office. And so I think that can get confusing and like the committee stuff definitely plays into like their influence, the NRA's influence, and the gun lobby's influence once these totally. senators are in office. And even when they like, just looking and at I'm, like broader strokes, when they move committees, like say, I'm told this like a BS example, but say they're like on the agriculture committee and then they're like on, I don't know, the ways and means committee. Like you'll see like who is funding them or funding yeah. their campaigns change based on like where they end up so like totally. that alone I feel like shows sort of that like soft yes again where it's still continuing to like follow along and it's yeah. definitely makes an impact for sure hopefully that answers the question also just should have said this in the beginning but um, we'll link the actual TikTok too in our episode description. So if you want to go watch it really fast and then have the context of what we're talking about, go watch that really fast and come on back. But next question is what does the funding from the NRA pay for? What exactly is the NRA donating to? So the NRA's real power shows up in independent expenditures. It can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money supporting and opposing candidates as long as it doesn't coordinate with the candidates. So... Super confusing, honestly, but I feel like that kind of paints a picture of like, these aren't donations directly to these candidates, but that's kind of what, where like this campaign finance reform conversation comes in because there's a lot of like kind of backdoor money, I would say. And that's kind of an example of this. So like campaign donations up to the limit, which depending on what office the person is running for, there's different limits as as to how much campaign donation they can receive. Advertising on behalf of their campaign. So they actually like will purchase and put out TV ads, newspaper ads, et cetera. And again, it's not on behalf of the campaign. It's like for the campaign, if that makes sense. So like, they'll also do like attack ads on the opposing candidate because they want the specific candidate to get into office so that they can then push their gun rights policy or to obviously block gun reform. So it all, it all correlates. Totally. So it's like, if you see an attack ad or like a hate ad and you're like, but it doesn't say at the end, like paid for by like Joe Schmo for Congress. It's like McConnell, but it's paid for like by the NRA. Like that's where that comes in where it's like Mm -hmm. they're honestly, it's like the it's passive aggressive advertising. That's how I look at that. Yeah. Honestly, totally. It is. Oh my God. Me not writing that. Coining. Coining. Yeah. So like the NRA can put an attack ad against Mitch McConnell's opponent, like democratic opponent again, to ultimately serve their agenda of, you know, getting gun rights representatives into office. So that's not on that. Next one. 
Next one. Okay. Portman has said he was not going to run. Did that change? No, that did not change. This is one of those ones that we were clarifying earlier where like he's not running for re-election, but someone that is like just as bad in our eyes is running for election there. So you guys might remember that we interviewed Morgan Harper earlier. This is that Ohio race. Unfortunately, she did not make it out of the primary. And Tim Ryan, who is a congressman as well, he is running against J.D. Vance, who is a horror show, horror show, horror show, horror show. So like, just because, like I said, someone's not running for re-election doesn't mean that the person that's trying to fall in line isn't just as bad or just as part of the problem. So these are races to pay attention to too. But either way, for clarity's sake, Portman, not yeah. running for re-election. And I think an important thing too is that like Portman, while he's not running for re-election, is clearly a highly funded NRA or has been right. representative. And so whereas the NRA probably looking to now spend money, it's the person trying to fill his seat, which is JD Vance. So you can probably right. see the NRA or other gun rights groups pouring money, you know, again, not into his campaign, but on behalf of his camp or for his campaign, basically. Yeah. Um so yeah. Next one is curious. Who is the number one funded cruise question mark? Actually, no, this one is breaking Sam's heart because you know, she has a little crush on Mitt Romney. Maybe not anymore because anymore. he is the number one NRA funded Senator and he has received over $13 million grand total of his NRA contributions. So yeah, Mitt Romney, honestly, shocker, because again, like he's now just considered one of the more moderate Republicans. And I heard a really interesting perspective on this, but he is like looked at as like one of the more moderate, like you're saying, or like more of like the ones like been there forever, this moral compass to some degree, like the yeah. one that'll like occasionally be like, no, I'm fighting for injustice yeah. or whatever, even though like 90% it's bullshit, but you get my point. Mm-hmm. And so like they're like a mob boss operates, the NRA is like yeah. a total mob boss, and they're more worried about like him scurrying away from the pack. So they'll spend more money to guarantee like his vote and his support. Whereas someone that's like, Mm, now of course I'm going to blank on every politician ever, but like someone that is like just staunchly, like no matter what, like live, breathe, like all things NRA, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, they have to spend money on them to show like support as like, thanks for your allegiance, but they don't need to be like, oh, we need to make sure. Yeah. They need to spend more money on him to keep him. Yeah, Yeah, totally. When it comes to Ted Cruz though. He's actually, if you look at the open secrets link, it's in the episode description. He's number one gun money funded congressional member. So both Senate and house, but basically another thing we pointed out in the TikTok was that all of that, those numbers were just NRA money. There are tons of pro gun and gun rights groups and orgs that pour a lot of money into politicians at every level. We'll we'll just get into the next question because it kind of goes more into Ted Cruz, but someone asked, even though they are up for re-election, how much is Cruz and Corrin, who are the senators of Texas, receiving from the NRA? So Ted Cruz, NRA grand total in his career has been $176,000 or over that. And he sits at number 37 as the highest NRA funded senator. So like not that up there, but again, he's number one funded gun rights money congressional member. So between the House and the Senate, and four hundred over four hundred and forty-two thousand dollars is the total money given to Ted Cruz's campaign, or a leadership pack from gun rights packs or individuals. So a little confusing there, but that's Ted Cruz, and then Senator Grant is his NRA grand total is over five hundred eighty-three thousand dollars. And then his total contributions from gun rights groups, aside from the NRA, is 340000 over $340,000. So we'll get into this too, just like specifically Texas reps and how the NRA spends a lot of money on Texas representatives. So that's a question we have coming up here, but we'll get into that in a sec. Okay. So this next question is, does the NRA have a tax exemption? If so, can they donate to campaigns? I read that the NRA is exempt from taxes and listed as a charity. So is the money that should be paid in taxes paying off politicians? It's kind of my answer to that. It's a big answer. It's a big answer. It's a chunky one. So Mm -hmm. technically, like the NRA is tax exempt because it's nonprofit. I really like, I just, no comment (laughs) as someone that also like has registered a business before the fact that they got away with this Mm. 
Mm-hmm. is bonkers like this is like one of those things where you go immediate like audit whatever my reactions aside let's I'll give you guys like the the textbook details we pulled some stuff here so you're getting it right from right from the old details, page for sure textbook details <laughs> yeah. okay so basically like I said there are 501c4 status there's like other types of statuses let's just go for this one anyways that means you're like a social welfare organization as qualified by the IRS so in order to be operated that way an organization must operate primarily to further the common good and general welfare of the people of the community, such as like bringing about civic betterment and social improvements. Just let that sink in. Sink so in, that's what in. the NRA is qualified as by the IRS, social yeah. welfare organization. So that's that. Yeah. So an organization like the NRA, according here, is allowed to engage in political lobbying and advocacy. So like also too, just to like clarify, like sometimes like we'll interview someone that has like an organization, it's like two prong, like a one will be a 501c3. And that's like a direct, like nonprofit. Like you can't lobby when you're like taking money that way. But Mm -hmm. with a 501c4, that's where like, like PACs will be qualified as this. Yeah. It's like the Sierra club is like, they lobby, but they also, you know, have this nonprofit arm as well. Yeah. So they're allowed to engage in political lobbying, advocacy, but can it cannot be its main activity and must be related to the group's primary mission, an issue upon which its tax exemption is based. Again, let that sink in. Like that yeah. is so beyond in this particular case. Social welfare organizations may also get involved in political campaigns and elections, provide their involvement is related to the group's mission. And again, only if this does not constitute their primary activity. Mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs> So, well, some people think the NRA should operate as a political lobbying organization to be accountable for its key interests, the firearms and ammunition industry. A spokesperson for the NRA rejected this and said in an email to this group that the group's legislative lobbying was, quote, textbook social welfare activity and that any benefits that accrued to gun manufacturers from the NRA's activities were incidental. (laughs) So basically the NRA is saying that, no, like our main priority is social welfare. And that's what we do. And, you know, gun manufacturers making any money because of the work that we do politically is just a coincidence. It's just incidental. You know, that's not our main priority and like driver when it absolutely is. They make so much fucking money. And at the end of the day, that's why we really can't get through a lot of gun reforms because these gun manufacturers and all of the insane amount of money they make from producing and distributing guns in this country i can't even imagine the pot of money you know anyways well that's that's not on that the boring tax stuff but it's super interesting at the same time like the fact that the nra functions as a social welfare organization under the irs is absolutely wild so anyways somebody asked which senator did not take money from the nra i had mentioned in the tiktok that there was one who didn't that's not technically true um mike lee of utah he is up for re-election this year and he was not on the list but he because he wasn't on like he's only um his grand total is only eight thousand dollars over eight thousand dollars and so he wasn't in like the power rankings of the senators up for re-election who have taken the most money so that's why he wasn't included however again like we said there's kind of like two prong to this gun money situation the nra money and then other gun rights orgs and so his total contributions from gun rights is over fifty four thousand dollars um and then out of like house and senate members he's ranked 91 mike lee of utah so still problematic and if you are a utah voter definitely look into that if that's a priority for you as a voter and he is up for election so do your deep dive yeah i mean everyone needs to break from utah mormon mom talk for like a hot second so i don't know anything about that but i i don't want it but mormon drama tiktok aside um last question is what about governor abbott he's governor of texas and obviously in light of last week's shooting this is a very very important question so again this tiktok was for the u.s senate specifically still definitely a really good question and senators and house members representing texas have received more than 14 million dollars in contributions from gun rights interests over the course of their careers with much of that coming from the nra texas also ranks second among the 19 states tracked by open secrets for state level lobbying by gun rights groups with more than three million dollars in spending from 2015 through 2021 During that period, the NRA spent more on state-level lobbying in Texas than any other state in the 19 states tracked by Open Secrets with over $2.5 million in spending in Texas. 
Governor Abbott has received more than $20,000 in contributions from gun rights groups, with most of that coming from the NRA and the Texas State Rifle Association. So he's definitely getting some money there. And then just kind of on this topic, I think a big part of last week was looking at the NRA convention that was being held in Houston on Friday and who was lined up to speak at that. It drew some of the biggest names in the GOP, including U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. And then, however, Texas, other Texas Republicans pulled out in recent days, citing the shooting or other commitments. So actually a lot of GOP members who were supposed to be there did pull out in light of the shooting which is hopeful news to me, at least a little bit. Governor Greg Abbott skipped his NRA speech to be in Uvalde, but provided video remarks. So it's like, same thing. He also got uh, booed, which fine by me, fine by me. Also go to our TikTok to watch the video of Beto um, going up to interrupt him during his press conference and basically call him out and say that, there's blood on his hands and the GOP's hands. And it was a moment. If you're a Texas voter, it's your year, it's your year guys. But also, that- I have one other element to that. That mayor is such a piece of shit, too. He's mm-hmm. also like he was up there on that platform, whatever you want to call that. And he's also made some like insane comments about like mental health and whatever, and like all of that, too. It's just like, yeah. How can I just delusional, delusional, delusional delusional for sure but those are the questions we received thank you guys for asking all the questions and if there's more do let us know you can comment on the tiktok you can comment on youtube you can email us at info girl the gov.com yeah so this one we're going to california for this interview not really but like it's okay not really hometown is it i was gonna say like aren't you santa cruz like what's the difference between like santa cruz san jose Great question. I actually grew up in Los Gatos, which is a town in San Jose. San Jose is like the greater city. Um, Okay. Okay. And then Santa Cruz is not in San Jose. It's like 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes away. But my parents live there now. They moved when I was in college, but I grew up in Los Gatos, which is basically San Jose. This makes so much sense to me now. So also in regards to San Jose and specifically kind of why we wanted to talk to Mayor Licardo is because he's, again, pushed through some pretty innovative gun reform solutions at the local level that definitely I think need to be highlighted. But the Bay Area also is not um, unfamiliar with mass shootings as well. And um, there was one last year um, in San Jose at a VTA rail yard. It's actually tied for the deadliest shooting on record in the region. There's been now five mass shootings in the last 10 years. And then there was also at the Gilroy Garlic Festival in 2019, 19-year-old gunman killed three people. So again, Gilroy is not technically San Jose either, but a neighboring, a neighboring city. And so just the Bay Area and even California. I always think about in regards to mass shootings is like they really are happening everywhere, regardless of you know, California being definitely pro-gun reform. We had one two weeks, two weeks ago and three weeks ago in Southern California against the Bay area has had a few in the past few years. So just a little context there as to kind of why this, you know, these solutions he's pushed through are so I think important and just need to be highlighted. So yeah, totally. Well, Like Maddie said, we are speaking with Mayor Sam Licardo. He's mayor of San Jose, California. So we're talking with him about his innovative solutions for gun reform, where they're at, where he thinks they're going to go, because there are legal battles. Let's just Mm -hmm. put it that way. Uh, So anyways, speaking of just gun orgs power, it's like not even just pouring money into campaigns and such it's also like these lawsuits that when there are gun solutions pushed through they are immediately there ready to sue basically so yeah that's an interesting you know perspective here that we get as well but sorry let's get into it totally so nonetheless we will talk about details on that in the interview aka we did so without further ado here is mayor Licardo. Well, let's get into it. You are the mayor of San Jose, California. Can you give our listeners an idea of what the city's like? What's the demographic? What's the sort of lay of the land of San Jose? Yeah, you know, uh, contrary to most 
I'm sorry, Maddie. It's my hometown. Of course. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for representing. <laughs> and contrary to the, the belief of many, San Jose is actually a pretty big city. We have more than a million folks. We're the 10th largest city in, in America. But since we don't have an NFL or NBA team, we sometimes get overlooked and all that. But nonetheless, I'm pretty proud of the amazing town that we are. We're a very diverse city. About a third of us are Latino. A little more than that are Asian American. And, you know, maybe... 24%, something like that is, is, is European. So it's a really diverse city. And as a result, we get an amazing eclectic mix of great restaurants and food from around the world and really cool festivals and events. And of course, we're in the heart of Silicon Valley. So we have a very innovative, creative culture. In addition to all the great tech innovations that have happened here, I'm proud to say that we are the place that invented the Ego waffle what? and, yeah, and fruit cocktail. That. And, and garlic fries, all the most important things to any six-year-old uh, were invented here in San Jose. So, so that's how cool and we are. And 28-year-old. Right on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did not know that, but that's going to be my new fun fact. I came from the home of the Ego yep. Waffle. Well, we wanted to talk about a specific topic today with you. Gun violence is something that has unfortunately plagued the city of San Jose as of recent years and we want to kind of get into some of that because you've kind of garnered some attention around your gun violence harm reduction policies that you push through can you kind of tell us a little bit about really what prompted this and kind of like the start of these kind of innovative policies that we haven't fully seen like across the country yet that you have put into place in san jose yeah i think you know mayors throughout the country are struggling right now with rising uh violence particularly gun violence over the last couple of years and it's it's no secret what's going on. A uh, huge inflow of guns, both through legitimate gun dealers as well as ghost guns. And there's a rising toll, certainly from certainly the flow of guns, as well as all the the challenges we're experiencing in the country. Certainly, we know there's mental health issues that are felt in every community as a result of the pandemic and a whole host of other causes. So I think a lot of mayors are scrambling really to try to find solutions. And I think there's a lot of interesting innovations that are happening throughout the country and San Jose's got its own. And, and I think like all good mayors, we steal each other's good ideas uh, and try to scale them. And so, you know, a lot of folks are watching what we're doing. We're watching what other folks are doing. What we're doing here is really in addition to many of the standard kinds of things that cities are doing, like banning ghost guns and trying to better regulate sale, point of sale, ensuring, for example, we have, you know, videotape to confirm that we don't have straw purchasers of guns who are not authorized to be owning guns, folks with felon felony convictions, things like that. You know, we're doing a lot of those standard things. In addition, uh, we're doing a couple of things that haven't been tried. One is requiring all of our gun owners to have liability insurance. And the second is um, imposing a fee, a small fee on gun ownership that would uh, support a lot of violence reduction and prevention programs, whether it's around domestic violence or suicide prevention or safe gun ownership, a host of other ways that we think we can reduce gun harm in our community. Totally. And that just opens up so many questions yeah. in terms of- And a lot of lawsuits too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, yeah. hey, we got to keep the lawyers employed. Yeah, they're coming. You know, they, yeah. you know there's so many people graduating law school, got to keep them busy. So, yeah. you know, it's really just- doing the American duty there. But in terms of some of the details of these programs, these you know policies and whatnot, you mentioned liability insurance, but what does that actually mean? Like what is liability insurance? It sounds fancy, I gotta say. Yeah, the good news is that, you know, most of us have pretty are pretty familiar with it just because we drive a car and we're all required to get insurance to drive a car. And it's no secret, cars are pretty dangerous. About 40,000 people die every year in roadway accidents. Similarly, about 40,000 people die every year gun uh, shot. So it's, I guess, an appropriate analogy in some ways. And the point is that negligent behavior by a driver or by a gun owner would result in compensation to the victim. And we know that most gun violence is not negligent, but an awful lot of it is, a surprising amount of it is. We live in a country with about four and a half million children who live in a home where a gun is kept unlocked and loaded, and there's certainly enormous risk of harm there. Accidental shootings are actually the result of about 27,000 gun-related injuries and many deaths every year as well. So, so there's a lot of negligent use of guns, and we think insurance companies can help because insurance companies tell us to do things like 
get airbags and, you know, hey, if you don't drive safely and you're getting a lot of tickets, we're going to increase your premiums and you better go take this uh, safe driver course if you're, if you're getting too many tickets, things like that. And, and similarly, insurance companies could get in the game here and nudge gun owners to do things that could keep us all safer. They could require gun owners that get their policy to have gun safes and to take gun safety courses and to get trigger locks and things like that. So is this one of those things, like from an insurance company standpoint, like they should be absolutely super excited for, like this is another opportunity, honestly, for them to kind of make some some dough? Yeah, you know, you'd think they'd be head over heels. They hate it. Really? Interesting. <laughs> for the most part, the industry doesn't want to go anywhere near guns. And, you know, maybe for the same reason why a lot of legislators don't want to go anywhere near guns. It's, you know, with fear and trepidation, if you offend somebody, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of worrisome behavior out there right now. And to the extent that gun owners feel, you know, look, the overwhelming majority of gun owners in our in our city, in our country are very responsible people. They're good citizens. But there are those who behave in very extreme ways and, and dangerous ways. And I think a lot of folks are just worried about engaging. Right. Well, something we like to always like talk about and highlight too is policy on the local level. And I think this issue of gun violence is typically talked about at a broader like national level scale can you kind of highlight too how impactful it can be to look to your local government when it comes to like gun reform and different you know solutions that can be made at that level yeah you know we hope there's impact but we know that the reality is the impacts can be pretty limited within our city limits and what we're hoping to do is is to be that that drop in the water that enables the ripples to, 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 to be carried outward. And we hope that other cities and, and other states will get on board because that's where we're going to have real impact. And I think we've seen this many times before where, you know, cities will step out there, whether it's, you know, San Francisco and gay marriage or, you know, what we were doing on banning plastic bags, for example, and, and, you know, individual cities get ideas, they push on things, you know, Community choice energy is a, is a great concept out here in California that really took hold in cities is now it's spreading now encompasses millions of residents and is dramatically reducing our, our carbon footprint. There's a lot of things that cities are willing to do because we're a little more nimble uh, than state legislatures or, or Congress. Lord knows anything would be more, more nimble <laughs> than Congress. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're just more pragmatic, right? We don't have political parties and lobbyists hounding us at every turn. So mayors just have greater freedom, flexibility to do things that are different and innovative. And so what we're hoping is, is that this will catch fire. We know in the meantime, we're going to have lots of lawsuits and fight through litigation and all that. And I, a lot of mayors have been calling me to ask me, Hey, how's it going to lawsuits? Cause we want to do it as soon as we find out that, you know, you can get through the courts. Totally. And just to give a little bit more detail as to what the policy entails and how it works, know that there's a nonprofit element to yeah. it. Can you explain that component? Yeah. So a nonprofit's being created by various community leaders, some who are involved, for example, in domestic violence prevention and suicide prevention and just public health in different ways, healthcare providers. And as we speak, they're drafting the articles of incorporation and all that. And, and the nonprofit is basically going to be the clearinghouse for the fees. The dollars will get paid by gun owners that go to this nonprofit. The nonprofit then will allocate those dollars to a specific violence reduction prevention programs. And overwhelmingly, the dollars are actually going to be targeted to households where a gun is owned. So gun owners should benefit in various ways, whether it's getting access to gun safety courses or mental health uh, services, for example, because we know all the data tells us that the greatest risk of harm, whether you're a potential victim of domestic violence or potential, uh, you know, someone who, who might be contemplating suicide, the risk of harm is infinitely greater if there's a gun in the home. So we want to go where the harm and the risk is. And that means we need to invest in those families where there's a gun. Mm -hmm. I have a question too. That makes sense. Oh, go ahead. You go, Sam. Oh, no, I was just going to say that makes sense. And I feel like it's kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of people might think of, you know, going to the people that actually own guns or that's a part of their, you know, their almost culture in a way, like, yes, gun, gun ownership is a part of our family or whatnot, almost seems like counterproductive. But from what you're saying, I totally get what you're hearing. And I think it's really, could be really effective. So I'm curious how it all kind of pans out, but sorry, Matt. I didn't mean yeah, I think that. we're all curious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I have a question Look, Everything's too. an experiment, I think, in politics. 
Yeah, look, we've got to get out there. You know, you got to get out there on the limb because that's where the fruit is on the tree. And nobody is solving this epidemic of gun violence in our country right now. With 300 million guns, we need to start to think differently. Yeah, and that was kind of like what my question was somewhat regarding is like, where where did this kind of inspiration for this specific policy really come from? Like, where did the idea come from? Is it been implemented anywhere else or is like a lot of research? How did you really come to this solution? You know, the, the idea of gun insurance is definitely not mine. Various folks have tried introducing bills and state legislators throughout the country, including Phil Ting, assembly member here in California. And in fact, I think there's a member of the House of Representatives, either in Massachusetts or New York, has been introducing one in Congress for some time. It never gets any attraction. The NRA has been fighting it every turn. And so it never even gets through committee usually to get on the floor. And so, you know, again, the ability for cities to move more nimbly, give me a sense, well, maybe we can push this through here and and start essentially become a catalyst for other cities and hopefully even the state of California. So on the insurance side, that's not a new idea. The fees are a bit new and the notion is kind of an old one. I hate to take everybody back to their old microeconomics classes, but this sort of <laughs> oh, idea no. of, of a Peruvian tax. And, yeah, right, exactly. You know, that, that there are ways to invest dollars that reduce harm. And one way is to utilize uh, fees that are paid by people who use the service. And in this case, the access to guns is the service. And we know there are harms that result and the public pays for those harms in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And I'm really curious to see, like, not only obviously how this goes, but then where it goes in terms of the state level, or maybe even in Congress, it kind of gives the data and the proof point that's needed to make it to committee. I know the NRA has its own agenda for sure, but hey, like, sometimes you can't argue with data. So let's definitely hope for the best Yes, is, is all I can even think to say on that. I expect but we'll have a better chance at want... the state houses than in, in Congress for a while, but we'll, we'll do what we can. True. Baby steps. We'll take baby yeah. steps, which, <laughs> hey, they have some meaning. I do want to talk about your new ghost gun approach. Can you give mm -hmm. us a little bit of information as to what that entails? What's what's the deal with ghost guns, especially in terms of your policies? Yeah, so the deal with ghost guns and the reason why folks are reading so much about them is the nature of ghost guns makes them particularly inviting to criminals because they don't have serial numbers on them. They can't be traced and tracing is something that's really important for folks. Like in my old life as a former DA trying to solve crimes, really important to be able to trace to the first registered purchaser. You can't do that with a ghost gun. They're also often, off, also often made out of uh, plastics, excuse me, which means they're, they're able to Data detection for a lot of medical detection systems, and 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 we know that you know there are no background checks for the most part with these kits that are sold online, and so the administration has really stepped up quite recently. The Biden administration did back in April, and they passed some regulations that will really force these gun kits into the mainstream of you know having serial numbers and having background checks and being sold through registered dealers and so forth. And that's great for the distribution and sale. So that stops the rising tide of ghost guns in our community. But the problem is there's still an ocean out there of ghost guns that already exist. And so we passed a prohibition here in San Jose. Some other cities are doing so. I think San Francisco and LA and others. And the idea is to try to get at the existing flood of ghost guns in our communities. Right now, about a quarter of the guns that our police are seizing that are illegal guns are, are ghost guns. Mm -hmm. What other... I know you also kind of mentioned in the beginning of this conversation how there's also like this mental health element to it. Do you have any policies in the hopper or that you have worked on in the past that address that side of it? Yeah, super important area. So the gun fee program that we introduce, we expect there'll be a significant mental health component, both for suicide prevention as well as just general mental health for those residents who who seek the service, obviously we need to ensure that they know the service is available and that's part of having these resources with the fees. Otherwise, most of that is handled in California on the side of the counties, not the cities, because the counties get all the money from the state and federal government for public health, for running hospitals, et cetera. A very few small number of cities actually get into health care in this state. So it, we try to stay in our lane because they have the expertise on the county side and they also have the resources. And what we just try to do is to support them and 
do whatever we can to make sure the information is distributed so people can get to the those resources. Gotcha. Totally makes sense. Love how there are so many different components to government, seeing how all these pieces sort of fit together and who also works together, I think is super important and often really, really confusing. And to that, super, the question is- confusing. With the, Super nope. confusing. It's like nobody has any idea who's responsible. It's part of the a thousand problem. percent. Yeah. I, honestly, yeah. I need like a whiteboard with like markers and arrows. Oh, I know. And I mean, like, I go into that. communities all the time, or you know, they're asking me, "Hey, fix the immigration laws." I'd love to, but right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, sorry, it. that's a little out of my hand. Yeah, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah. But I'm curious too, in terms of like application of these policies. Who do you guys work with? Like, is it the police department? Like, how does this all get sort of put into motion? Yeah, this is going to really require a lot of collaboration with the community. I mentioned the formation of this nonprofit with many community leaders. And, you know, we're not going to be going, knocking on doors and going into people's homes and making them pay fees. So bluntly, it's going to require the cooperation of gun owners in our community. And we know that most gun owners are law-abiding and they're going to, they're going to, do what they understand that their citizens' duty is, is, but we know others won't. And so we're only able to be as effective as we're able to engender trust. And that's much harder work and, and takes, you know, it's the work of a generation. Totally. Wait, also, I, I'm not sure if we covered this earlier, but like for someone that doesn't follow it, is there a penalty in any way? Yeah, there's, there's civil penalties. We didn't want to introduce criminal penalties okay. for a whole host of reasons, particularly a lot of concerns around equity and how that might affect particular communities that have been traditionally marginalized. So we're, we have civil penalties and obviously fines and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, excited to see where this goes. We are going to have to do a follow-up, get the 411 on where everything lands. Yeah. I was going to ask happen. like timeline and these lawsuits, like can you also yeah. kind of like run yeah. us through like really what the lawsuits are about and really how that's going to affect the timeline of, you know, Mm. seeing a solution. Yeah. The short answer on the timeline is, I don't know. It's it's in the courts. And what we said explicitly at the council is we're going to let them hash it out, at least at the district court level. We know it'll go up on appeal and so forth. Hash it out at the district court level before we move on. And then obviously once it's resolved, and I think it'll be a, just a matter of a couple more months before we reach probably summary judgment or something like that in the courts. And what, what are the fights about in the litigation, as you might expect, a lot about Second Amendment and the rights uh, to bear arms. And we appreciate that there are uh, constitutional rights at stake here, and we think we've successfully avoided infringing on them. There have been taxes on gun purchases in this country for more than a century. There are lots of fees and restrictions in various ways on ammunition and, and guns. We think that there's no reason why this should not be constitutional. Wait, who's who's suing? Everybody's suing and their lawyers. Any like big players <laughs> that, you know, people might recognize or? Oh yeah, some national gun groups, some local gun groups and, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a good time. The, the, the judge is gonna enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, right. It usually takes a while to get through all this. No good deed goes okay. unlitigated when it comes to gun ownership. Put yeah. that on a campaign yeah. shirt. That is all I can say on that one. Iconic. Well, thank you so much for running us through this. We are super excited for our listeners to get to know new policies, especially the ones you're putting forth. So, of course, we'll have you back on to chat about, you know, sort of where everything lands. But thank you again for coming on. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. So top stories of the week. To kind of continue this conversation around last week's shooting, around gun reform, um, especially at the federal level, Biden is saying he sees a chance of rational, quote, rational Republican approach on guns. So President Biden said Monday that the Second Amendment was never absolute and that after the Texas elementary school shooting, there may be some bipartisan support to tighten restrictions on the kind of high powered weapons used by the gunman. He said, I think things have gotten so bad that everyone's getting more rational. At least that's my hope. 
So his comments came a day after he traveled to the shattered Texas community of Uvalde, mourning privately for three plus hours with anguished families, grieving for the 19 children and two teachers who died in the shooting. Um, and he was faced with chance of, quote, do something as he departed a church service and Biden pledged, quote, we will. So there's that. And then after that trip, Biden spent sa- uh, Sunday night at his home in Delaware as he arrived at the White House for Memorial Day events. He was asked if he's now more motivated to see new federal limits imposed on firearms. And in Congress, a bipartisan group of senators talked over the weekend to see if they could reach even a modest compromise on gun legislation after a decade of mostly failed efforts that included encouraging state, quote, red flag laws to keep guns away from those with mental health problems. A congressional aide said the senators would meet virtually Tuesday and throughout the week. So that's update on movement. Yeah. And what you can do, there are at least two bills that are up for discussion. One is HR8, which is Bipartisan Background Checks Act. And there's another one, S529, Background Expansion Act. These are two particular pieces of legislation that you should be calling your reps about. Also tagging them on social media. I did notice, I forget which rep it was when I was tagging yesterday, but one of them turned their tagging off because apparently it's gotten out of hand in their eyes, but you're a public representative. So anyways, that aside, tag your reps, post on your stories, post on your grid, ask like your reps to pass this stuff. Also let's talk to the Dems. Like we've got cinema and mansion that could say toodles to the filibuster, but here we are, here we are. So nonetheless, there's stuff to do. I will also say that first of all, go follow us on Instagram because again, like we will not stop talking about this and pushing stuff out, be it action items and resources for this topic, but also I just think it's so important, like this online engagement conversation, Brian Derrick actually posted today, a very important post basically saying that or showing that online engagement for each day after the U.S. mass shooting incidents, it shows like the decline of just online engagement about it and how important like this week after is for people to continue to talk about this, continue to reach out to reps continue to make noise about it because pro-gun advocates are counting on people to just lose interest and just let this slide again. So do not stop posting. Do not stop talking about it. And again, just keep, keep making noise. And those like DMS are open for your reps. Like just copy and paste, copy and paste, send it every freaking day. Yes. There's tons to do. So find what works for you, but I think everybody, we need everybody you know, continuing this conversation. So however you choose to do that, just keep doing it and let us know if you have questions. Like I said, action items on our IG, Mm -hmm. specifically the girl on the gov IG has more of the action items. There's an action items, uh, highlight. So we put a lot of those there And and actually some of the bills too, that we're talking about, we've highlighted those as well on back on our bills. Whoa. Now I almost messed up our own thing back on our bill shit. So if you're curious, like, okay, like what does this include? And there's so many, which is true. There are a lot, some that have made mm-hmm. it out of the house. Some haven't even made it to committee, but like the whole gamut yeah. where we're putting those day by day on that highlight. So go yeah. check it out. I will also say like, especially when having this conversation with Mayor Licardo today, like there are so many solutions that can be passed local state and federal. So keep mm-hmm. pushing each level. And obviously it's always important to do that, but I will say like this, this issue really is one where I would actually tell people like, do focus on federal um, electeds, do focus on the Senate because there are, I think 28 states who don't have background checks and we can't just rely on every single state to pass all these gun reform solutions. It has to happen federally. That way it can just be the law of the land. And we don't have to worry about people, you know, having looser gun laws in some states. It has to happen federally. So keep that pressure on our senators and our house members and such, because I, I will say this is like the one issue where I'm like, obviously all like levels of politics matter. We always say that, but definitely hone in on, on our federal elected totally. for this specific issue. Chris Murphy, who is big in this conversation, like his point has always been with legislation, the federal level for gun reform is that like guns don't know borders and it's yep. so, so true. So just because you have good laws in Connecticut doesn't mean laws in New Jersey are good and someone can't just drive over the border. Exactly. Totally. But moving on, we had more primary elections last week. So I want to give you a recap on that because 
there were a lot of takeaways that were really important, good and bad, but let's just get into it quickly. Pennsylvania was the week prior, but they had a recount in that Dr. Oz race. So recounting began Friday in the two close to call Republican primary contest for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania with barely 900 votes separating celebrity heart surgeon Dr. Oz and former hedge fund CEO David McCormick. So the recount began as a court battle being waged all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court could affect which ballots get counted. So counties have until June 7th to finish a recount and another day to report results to the state. So a little update there on Pennsylvania, but moving to Georgia because Georgia just makes, keeps making me proud. You know, obviously there, there's wins and losses in there, but overall it's just really showing that like what we saw in 2020 was not just a one-time thing. Okay. Looking, it's looking hopeful. But someone, someone's more hopeful than me. That is all I can say. But anyways, Anyways, let's get some updates. Well, speaking of the hopefulness, that's what Maddie's getting at is Trump has endorsed in a ton of these primary races up and down the ballot. And Georgia has really been looked at as like his redemption tour in the sense of like Georgia was the the nail in the coffin, if you will, for his presidential loss in his reelection campaign. So he is bitter, 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 and was really trying to pump some attention here to get his candidate to win. And... Sadly for him, did not happen. So mm-hmm. let's go through it. So Trump had hoped to turn Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who I also dislike immensely, of immensely, course. not of the course. point, but immensely, into an example of the danger in defying him. Like, what the what in the mob boss? Like Literally. I swear to God, ninety percent of the things that we talk about, I just think of the Sopranos. Instead, Kemp became an example of how Republican incumbents might not have as much to fear from Trump as the former presidents would like. Side note, I just feel like they're going to be continuously just fighting about this for time memorial. So I'm like, whatever. But anyways, Kemp cruised past former U.S. Senator David Perdue in the Republican primary. Victory came a year and a half after Kemp rejected Trump's demands to help overturn the presidential election by declaring Trump the winner in Georgia instead of Joe Biden, who actually won. I repeat that, (laughs) actually won. But the Georgia governor's race wasn't the only Trump grudge Yeah, it's a grudge. I love that word. Grudge match that backfired on the former president. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who personally rejected Trump's call to find, literally find, enough votes to declare him the winner in Georgia, defeated the Trump-backed primary challenger as well. Well, howdy-doody. Would y'all look at that? Trump recruited U.S. Rep. Jody Heiss from a safe congressional seat to face Raffensperger in the Republican primary, but Heiss lost. Trump endorsed primary challengers to the insurance commissioner to the insurance commissioner and attorney general, and they too lost. That said, Trump did notch some wins, though they came with baggage. Former football, great. And I say great in quotations because I don't, I don't football. Anyways, former football player, player, Herschel Walker, Trump's pick for the U.S. Senate and Georgia dominated his Republican challengers. Party leaders had first shied away from him because of his checkered history. By the way, like domestic abuse, checkered history, just just some things. His reaction also to the recent mass shootings. Go check out the video. Equally as concerning, bananas. So make sure to register to vote if you're in Georgia and keeping this wackadoodle out of office. But keeping your Georgia here, Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene won her Republican primary, shogging off challengers who complained Greene was giving the party a bad name by engaging in Holocaust denial and other headline-grabbing bombastic behavior. Wow, bombastic. I have not heard that word <laughs> since, I don't know, 1930. It's applicable we, for sure when talking it, about this woman. But totally. yeah, I mean, obviously there's two, these two candidates who didn't win are absolutely frightening pieces of trash however again just georgia first of all i just will say the reason i am hopeful and a lot of people are saying that these georgia races were are going to be a huge dig to trump because really what he's been saying over the past you know really since he's left office is that 2022 is going to be the deciding factor of whether he runs for president again in 2024 and if across in a lot of these races, his candidates, endorsed candidates aren't winning. That's a sign to him in his camp that, okay, maybe his messages aren't resonating with Republicans like they hoped they would. So I think these are 
definitely very important results, but we'll have to see what happens in the general, obviously, to really feel good about it. But moving to Texas, the kind of real Democratic matchup was Texas 28th Congressional District between progressive Jessica Cisneros and centrist Rep. Henry Akuler, who is one of the last abortion rights opponents in the Democratic caucus. And so on Wednesday, it was too early to call. And the two candidates were separated by the thinnest margin of votes in a rematch two months after they were forced into a runoff. It drove home two realities. Elections are a game of inches. Absolutely. And even a victory won't resolve the great left versus great or center divide in the Democratic Party. So again, I think we did talk about this last episode, just how this race and how important it was really as a also feeler within the Democratic Party. Again, we have like Nancy Pelosi endorsing Henry Kuehler, who is an anti-choice Democrat. Um, so just a lot of eyes here. And again, just do not sleep on that tea that fucking Nancy Pelosi endorses, man. So And that her husband has a DUI. Yeah, that was actually some Sorry. tea that came out this weekend. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi's husband got arrested for driving under the influence. But anyways, back to Texas. So really just again, this conversation of the Democratic Party, where things stand, just like similar to the Republican Party of how people are feeling, where they're leaning. After the collapse of much of Biden's agenda in Congress, progressives have gotten boost in recent primaries. Their candidate, Summer Lee, narrowly won the primary in Pennsylvania's 12th district last week in Oregon, the 5th Congressional District centrist rep, Kurt Schrader was trailing a progressive challenger after the primary last week. The results were delayed by ballot counting problems there. But then back to Texas too, Attorney General Ken Paxton won his Republican runoff election against Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush on Tuesday, despite facing a slew of legal problems, including an FBI investigation and a trial on securities fraud charges. And just Bush is the only member of his famous family still in office, but the loss means he will now exit in January. So the Bush dynasty is out of elected office for one of the few times in the last 40 years. Fun fact. Wow. Fun fact. Wowie. Yeah. But that bring is us home with wild. Bring us home with Alabama. Uh, Alabama. At least six members of the Alabama legislature lost to primary challengers. According to unofficial returns and several races are yet to be decided in Alabama, there will be a runoff for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate between Katie Britt, former head of the Business Council of Alabama, and Rep. Mo Brooks. At one time, Brooks had the endorsement of Donald Trump, though Trumpy Trump Trumpsters did decide to remove his or withdraw his support at one point. Yet, like Mo Brooks had like a little comeback story. We talked about this in our last episode, so if you're like curious on like the deep dive there head back to that episode zoom 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 whatever but yeah there's there's still some drama happening there's another runoff which I honestly like I don't know if it's just the level to which we're like super clued in I'd be curious on the data of this but I really feel like there's more runoffs this year than like I ever remember right like I know I feel like since 2020 I like learned what a runoff was and now they're just they're constant primaries next next round is actually next week i don't think there's any there's none this week but june 7th so next week california we're voting california we're voting again june 7th iowa also june 7th mississippi montana new jersey new mexico south dakota so if you are a voter in one of those states get ready get ready ask or let us know if you have any voting questions but again not this week but next so get ready get ready get ready but that is it for this week again comment message us dm us email us all your questions be it again voting politics in general this gun reform conversation and more call us on social media because again we will continue this conversation continue sharing resources and action items you can do and do not stop making noise we'll say it a hundred more times Join our brand ambassador program. There's no requirements, resume boosters and political networking opportunities. And just even if you're not into any of those things, there's a community of political like-minded ladies just trying to continue the conversation and have some impact. So come join. You can also learn about it and sign up at the link in this episode description. Go subscribe on YouTube. Again, if you don't even watch these episodes on YouTube, it'd be super helpful. 
for you guys to go subscribe to help us just find and reach new people boost us in the youtube sphere so if you can again go subscribe that'd be amazing it was also my birthday wish from last week so if you didn't do it i'd really love if you did <laughs> and then just keep sharing girl on the gov with your circle again it's a great way to have political impact to continue sharing resources like girl on the gov to help people get their political learning in and political action especially in this crucial election year with this crazy news cycle that we're living in once again so share 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 follow us on pinterest mm-hmm. follow us on tiktok oh, subscribe website, rate review sure, send your put your email to get to add to our email list. we barely send emails tbh so it's like you won't be inundated just really when we have like events from time to time or whatever probably some with some updated stuff at some point anyways yeah. and last but not least perhaps if you are a pr pal of ours we do have a number of forms like on our website and all of our links to bios for submitting people for all of our different features from the podcast to behind the scenes, keeping up the candidates, the whole gamut. If you want to collaborate, there's a form for that too. So submit your stuff. We'd love to talk to you. And also for all, for all the humans, info at girlonthegov.com. You can reach us. Thank you. There it is. That's it. Have an amazing rest of your week. And we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.